Well, let me ask you, Billy. What percentage of gay men do you think had sexual intercourse, not penis and vagina? They were, they were talking about like, like how many of the guys like in, in need to be anal. I don't know. Uh, maybe thir- maybe like thirty five percent said like a- anal or bust. Very good. Did, very what? Good. Oh. Uh, uh, very good. About 65% okay. did not include anal sex. But first, a word from our sponsors. There's no shame in wanting to last a little longer. And Promessions Delay Spray gives you confidence to enjoy the experience without worrying about blowing your load. Get 15% off at promescent.com with code MW15. That's MW15 at P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T dot com. The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by Alt Playground. APG is more than just a place to find couples to swap with. Alt Playground is a lifestyle community for all non-monogamous and sexually adventurous people to connect and share. And you know I started a profile. Join me over at altplayground.net. That's A-L-T playground.net. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Whoa, the beginning of the podcast sounded a little different, didn't it? Yeah, we're trying all sorts of new things these days, like uh, playing a preview clip at the top of the show or saying I'm sorry for harm that I've caused. Hey, I'm (laughs) open-minded. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the show. This week, I have got on uh, the author of the hit sex book, the classic She Comes First, Dr. Ian Kerner. He's got a new book out now called So Tell Me About the Last Time You Had Sex. And I can't wait to share my conversation with Ian in a little bit. But first, you know, y'all send in emails from time to time asking for advice or sharing a situation that you're in. But it's not as common that like, I get the follow-up. So a few weeks ago, y'all might remember that a, a longtime listener, Sarah, wrote in. She is a typically submissive woman who is now dating a man who wants her to be a femdom. And she's a good GGG kind of switchy girlfriend, so she wanted to give it a try, but she was having trouble figuring out what to get him to do, like what little tasks to assign him. Anyways, we have a follow-up. She wants to tell people what she came up with. She writes, quite a bit has happened since I first wrote to you about meeting this new guy and taking on this new role. A couple days after asking for your advice, a strange thing happened while I was hanging out with him. I was in my head about what sort of things he wanted from me instead of just thinking about what I want and telling him to do it because, duh, now I know better. And he could tell I was being weird. So he switched it up on me. Literally, he got very dominant, which took me by surprise. But I can't say I wasn't into it. Uh, It was so hot and fun. And I could tell he enjoyed himself as well. But after that, I got a bit anxious that he might have been thinking I wouldn't be able to be as dominant as he'd like. And I decided I needed to prove myself. So I made a plan on a Friday night a few weeks ago and was able to execute it perfectly. I told him to be at my house at 1030, to which he replied some bullshit about being really tired, so he might try to sleep, blah, blah, blah. I said, either fucking come over or don't. Don't waste my time. Sarah! He said, you're right, I'll be there. 
About 20 minutes before he was supposed to arrive, I texted him directions to go through the side gate of my house to the back door, which leads to my bedroom, where there will be a chair outside. I told him to take off his clothes, sit in the chair, and text me once he's there. I don't know if I mentioned it before, but he's an extreme exhibitionist too, so I knew he'd fucking love that. Once he did that, I told him to put his phone down, sit on his hands, and wait for me. Then I proceeded to really drink a glass of wine, uh, finished putting on my outfit, and took my damn time. The rest of the night was just so much fun. I blindfolded him while he was still outside in the chair. I asked him how many times he broke the rule I had given him for the week, which was to text me and tell me every time before jerking off. And I slapped him in the face a couple times while making him apologize. I brought him inside and spanked him a bit. Sarah, go you. I saw on his face and then his chest while switching back and forth between barely touching his cock with my finger and slapping his inner thighs while making him apologize more. It was so fun. My grand finale was having him kneel in front of me on the floor while touching himself. And I told him to ask nicely to come. Then I said he could stand up and come in my mouth, but then he would have to kneel back down and open his mouth to receive it. It was the most incredible, disgusting, sexy, hottest thing I've ever done. And now my best friend just refers to him as Baby Bird. Since then, I've had him do a few fun things such as eat my ass while I'm washing my makeup brushes in the kitchen sink, sit naked on the floor and rub lotion on my legs while I watch TV, and wash me while I shower. A few weeks ago, we also had a pretty serious discussion. That was like the beginning of our DS negotiations. Because I knew I had a lot of learning to do, since realizing that my type of subbing and his type of subbing are very different, which confused me so much in the beginning, because I didn't understand what he wanted. He's not really a masochist. I am. He's much more of a service sub. I'm definitely not. So I did a lot of research. I bought some books. I skimmed many subreddits, etc. And I tried my best to have more open communication with him about his needs. Since then, we've actually toned down the DS dynamic a bit. Work situations are stressful for both of us right now, so he hasn't been so much in the mood for that. But I have been trying a few exhibitionist things for him since he loves that, including fucking on my back patio at night with the lights on so the neighbors can see, or having him finger me while driving to dinner, and wearing lots of skirts in public because he loves pulling it up a bit to sneak a peek if I'll allow it. But we've gone to know each other a lot better outside of just kinky situations, so I guess we're actually dating now. And I like him. We're very silly together and just have a lot of fun. Tomorrow is his birthday, and I'm excited to give him some silly presents, along with an offer to mess around at a park near my house, which I think he'll like the most. Thank you again for your awesome advice. It really empowered me and reminded me that I am in control. I'm allowed to focus on just my pleasure, which is something I've rarely, if ever, have actually done in the past. I like this excuse to be a little selfish and get exactly what I want all while giving this person that I like exactly what he wants to. Such a win-win. You the best, Sarah. Ah, uh, Sarah, proud of you. Uh, congratulations on your, your uh, evolving femdom dynamic, even if it's uh, intermittent at times. It seems that y'all are really getting that communication thing down. And, uh, and I'm proud of you for getting selfish, girl. Good for you. Congratulations. And shout out to the fan whores who have been uh, slipping in my DMs on OnlyFans with incredibly kind words uh, and tips. Y'all are 
wonderful uh, just because uh, it's not even just like it's not just like dirty like hey nice dick compliments it's it's like hey big fan of the show thanks for letting us look at your cock uh one one person said i hope you become as big as howard stern one day it just you know y'all are being incredibly sweet and kind to me uh, but if you want to shoot me a, a, an email with your comments your questions your criticisms and you don't want to do so on OnlyFans, uh you can shoot me an email at manhorpod at gmail.com uh, but, and, but if you do want to shoot me the message on the OnlyFans and have some fun, you can hit me up at OnlyFans.com slash call me Billy. Uh, I had like a, a, an incredibly steamy, uh, hookup over the weekend that was, was different from the norm. Uh, it was, it was a Reddit encounter. And I, what I did was I answered an ad that I saw for someone who wanted to edge a guy with her mouth. She hadn't touched anyone. She hadn't fucked anybody yet since quarantine. She hadn't touched a dick she hadn't been with people she hadn't hugged a new person and she just was like i just need to get like a dick in my mouth because i got my shots and i'm just ready to slut it back up and i was like i would love for you to slut it back up with my dick in your mouth was that is that something you would and she's like yeah and i'm off oh, awesome i signed up for an edging session and this is what i mean by like sex is not always about piv or it's not always about leading up to the piv we had this incredibly steamy hot flexible, fluid touching time. I don't even know how else to say it. You know, like, yeah, did we start with blowjob? But like, I think after about five minutes, she, you know, she starts needing to masturbate. And then she's like, can I just like take a break? And I want to just like fuck myself on the bed. Is that okay? And I'm like, yeah. So I'm like, can I like snug up on you? And she's like, yeah. And, and it was this, it was this constant exchange of like, can I, may I, I'd really like, I'd really like to. It was a completely different sex script than I would normally do. And and we'll hear more about sex scripts with Ian in just a moment. Uh, it was just like really fucking hot. So anyways, I'm not going to like go into the play by play, but uh, she wrote a success story on Reddit. And so I am going to put a link to that success story that she wrote about our encounter in the show notes of this episode. So, you know, go feel free, click on through, enjoy that shit. Before I get to my guest this week, Dr. Ian Kerner, I'm going to do something I enjoy real briefly. The fan whore appreciation moment. What's up? I want to give a shout out to a fan whore from my Patreon community. This week, it's Esme Bicalis. Hey, there. How do Yin's guys say thank you so much? Um, I, don't, I don't know how Yin's people say thank you so much, but thank you so much, Esme, for supporting the podcast. And you, too, can become a member of our fan whore community on Patreon uh, for as little as $2 a month. Does not take much to help a whore out. Uh, and there's also a discount if you want to buy an annual subscription. Learn more and become a member today at patreon.com slash podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash podcast. All right. Uh, and now for this week's guest, Dr. Ian Kerner. He, uh, he wrote the book. He wrote the big uh, How to Please a Volva book. She Comes First. He also wrote the, uh, the the follow-up that not as many people talk about called He Comes Next, but he's got a new book out now, which it's a great title for the follow-up, but he's got a new book out now. It's called So Tell Me About the Last Time You Had Sex. Really hope you enjoy this conversation about connecting with your partner with Dr. Ian Kerner. Look, I used to pay for porn subscriptions to different websites, managing different memberships and trying to remember when the rebill was on which ones and which sites offered which types of content. Ugh, exhausting. 
You know, being a member to a porn site is great if that one site has everything you need, but most membership sites don't feature different types of performers or variety of kinks or have access to classic retro porn your parents used to watch, but Hot Movies Unlimited does. Yep, hotmovies.com. They've got all the porn I could need, and it's always updating with new content. You know, they've got movies with all your favorite porn stars from all your favorite porn studios doing all your favorite sexy porn categories. And Hot Movies' new subscription service allows you unlimited access and replays to hundreds of thousands of films. So when you want access to variety, you only need that Hot Movies Unlimited subscription in your secret Chrome browser. Visit hotmovies.com and use promo code MANHOR for a little bonus. And so they know who sent you. The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by altplayground.net, the lifestyle site for your next non-monogamous adventure. Sex. We're talking about sex, people. Come on. You know what that means. Uh, group sex, threesomes, swapping, unicorning, gangbangs. Want to put together a Star Wars-themed orgy? You could probably find some people for that at APG. Looking to hit up the local glory hole in town? Let people know by posting at altplayground.net. And Alt Playground, you know, they know how important it is to include everybody in the fun. That's why they have a slew of sexual and gender orientations to help you best identify yourself to other members. And there are plenty of options for how to describe your current relationship dynamic to the site. Poly people, relationship anarchists, seasoned swingers, and curious newbies are all welcome at altplayground.net. That's A-L-T playground.net. Promescence Delay Spray is clinically proven to help dicks last longer in bed. I guess these are the types of endorsements you make when you hit your 30s. Um, but seriously, I want Promescent to sponsor uh, me because they offer sexual health products that every good slut needs. Promescent offers a premium line of condoms, lubes, arousal gels, uh, and massage oils in addition to their flagship product, the Delay Spray. Yeah, 2,000 healthcare professionals recommend Promescent so you know it's safe to use. Plus, they offer a 60-day, no-hassle, money-back guarantee if it doesn't work. So what's the risk in trying, right? My bottle of Delay Spray is in my sex bag wherever I go in case I need that little bit of confidence, knowing I'm not going to blow my load too soon. It works in about five minutes, and it lasts up to about an hour. So get free shipping and 15% off when you use code MW15 at promescent.com or click the link in the show notes. Again, visit promescent, P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T dot com and use code MW15 for your special man whore discount. Now let's get to the show. <laughs> um, I, I didn't realize the name of the second book. Until I was uh, poking around the Wikipedia, uh, yeah. and then I was like, "Hilarious, yeah, amazing." <laughs> you know, they retitled it though. They did. Which wait, which one are you talking about? Well, he I'm talking about next? he comes next. Yeah, I was like, yeah. "What a hilarious second! Yeah. That's the best sequel you could, the title you could have had." <laughs> I agree. I agree. You know what though? If you don't know what she comes first is, if you'd never heard of she comes first, right, and you just hear a book called he comes next. What is that? You know, they were like, well, could we call this? She comes first. Number two, were you married or dating or single when you wrote? She comes first. 
Can sorry. I stop you? Are we actually doing this now? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I okay, I didn't. I, I'm sorry. It's all right. good. All good. I, I tend to fade in and I do something like, and uh, oh, yeah, by the way, I should uh, mention I'm sitting here with Dr. Ian Kerner, all right, all right, the right. author of. Uh, I just she. Didn't, now I know. Okay, good. <laughs> it's okay. But that, now we just introduced you. What were you getting? Yeah, cool. <laughs> uh, what were you about my wife? Were you asking me something? <laughs> well, I was going to ask, like, uh, when you wrote She Comes First, were uh-huh. you were you dating her? Were you all already married? Were you when not, I wrote met her yet? She Comes First? I was uh, with my wife. We were married. Okay, I, I, yeah, we were married. We were we were fairly newly married, but um, I think I met my wife in '98, and I wrote She Comes First in around 2002, and mm. it uh, came out in 2004. Okay, so yeah, we were. Uh, heavily she's the she and she comes first <laughs> did, did she have any feedback uh during the writing process of like come on now like because uh, i because if you had been if you had been still in a courtship phase or like dating and hadn't met her yet i would have thought that would have been like very high pressure to be the guy who writes this like incredible book about you know right. focus on one's pleasure and then it's like any date right. is like well i wonder if you live up to this right 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 um well, I will, like, I'll tell you something. I actually wrote the book uh, without telling her, without telling anybody, because I didn't want anybody to dissuade me. Mm-hmm. I didn't want anybody to chime in. I just wanted to be completely pure and unfiltered, and I didn't know if my wife would be uncomfortable with me writing the book mm-hmm. in some way. So um, it actually led to a lot of discomfort because I wrote the book sold the book and she didn't even know right that's <laughs> so i don't think you would advise that to like one of your clients no, today, probably. i'm not into secret <laughs> listen i'm not into secrets at all i think if you got nothing to hide there's you know why 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 there shouldn't be secrets on the other hand with that book it was a different time of my life i was in a different place i was um, a little less experienced in the world, and I was just worried. You're in your like, so like probably mid late twenties or something, something like that. Like that, probably. Yeah. And I was just worried that um, it would either get laughed out of the room, or uh, somebody would tell me not to do it. So I just kind of, I'll be honest. So I wanted to write it without mm-hmm. any interference, and then I showed it to a friend who showed it to an agent who got it sold within like a few days, and I was like, wait, I haven't even told my wife about this. <laughs> Not only do I have to tell her I've been working on a book, I have to tell her it's been sold and is getting published. So it kind of uh, snowballed out a little bit. But does it make the, like, the, the sell to your wife easier if like you're coming with a check? You're like, There's a, there is a check here, though. Um, <laughs> No, no, not in that particular situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, money wasn't the, the currency. No, she was kind of, uh, she was ha- on the one hand happy for me. And on the one hand, she was pretty shocked and, and upset. And she started to wonder if I mm. have a, a second secret family oh. down in Mexico. <laughs> like, what else am I not telling her? And you were like, no, this was it. I swear. <laughs> Uh, that was it. That okay, was it. <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> but it's a pretty big secret, you know. I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. I wrote the first draft fairly quickly too. I probably wrote the first draft in uh, four months. I should also say that my wife at that time she travels a lot for work, mm-hmm. so she was gone almost the whole time that I wrote the book mm-hmm. and got it sold. So we weren't even in the same country together during that whole process. And she then, just comes home and you're like, honey. 
I, I called her in London, and I was coming out to London to visit her. She was doing some work out there, and I was like, listen, I, I want to let you know before I come, I, I sort of have something to tell you. She got very nervous. She thought uh, she didn't know what I was going to say. So she was sort of relieved that that's what I had to say, and it wasn't something bigger or, you know, or mm. something that affected her more. Um, but that was, uh, that was intense. And then, and then from there, the book sold very quickly. And then I never heard from the publisher. So I sold the book in like 2002. It was published two years later, which is unusual yeah. for something to be published that much later. Um, and I didn't hear from the publisher, um, for like a year after submitting it or like nine months. And I was like, can I curse on this show? Do yeah. people, I was like, what yeah, it's the called f- the, yeah, yeah. A couple weeks mad. ago, a couple weeks ago, we had a glory hole episode. So, okay. you know, if that gives you, uh, idea. I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I'm not hearing from my agent. I'm not here. I actually ran into my agent on the street and I didn't even recognize him. He was like, Hey, and I was like, who are you? And he's like, I'm your agent. And I was like, well, why haven't I heard from you in like, uh, seven months? And he's like, let me go figure it out. And then apparently in publishing, editors quit get fired all the time you know so the editor who had bought she comes first got like fired the next day and they thought that the book for had, for for paying for the I, book Is that, <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't know the story but anyway this they, book says come a lot this is, <laughs> we can't publish oh, this. No, it was published at the time by judith regan she had just done uh howard stern's book and oh. uh how to make love like a porn star jenna jameson's yeah. book so she's not scared of uh scared of sex at all but as it turned out they thought that they had reassigned the book that i had been working on it editing it so when they asked for the rewritten version and just saw the original manuscript they were like this guy who is he? he didn't do any fucking work at all who does he think he is he didn't take any of our notes you know what let's cancel this whole book contract he's so he's so arrogant I was like, what the hell? Nobody even got back to me. So it was a huge, (laughs) colossal miscommunication. They were pissed off at me. And they really put me under a lot of pressure at that could, point. Could they have? Could the whole thing have fallen through if, like, you hadn't run into the agent on the street and someone went to look into it? Yeah, the whole thing almost did fall apart. Oh it God. actually did fall apart and had to be put back together. They wanted someone else to rewrite the book for me and put someone else's name on it with me. Like a celebrity? Um, like Howard. Howard will fucking write No, it. it wasn't a celebrity, but it was like, um, uh, I think, a sex writer, a sex columnist or something. Were you like waving your hand like, hi? I was like, can you give, right me, here. A, can you give me a note? Like, this is big for me. Like, I care about this book. Yeah. So... We got everything smoothed out, but uh, it took some time so that the fact that the book, then they said, they said, well, we want you to do the whole rewrite. I think, I think I got my notes from them. This was like around November 15th. And they Mm -hmm. said, well, if we're not going to drop this book, you got to get us the whole thing by January 1st. So I had to do an entire rewrite of the book in about six weeks it went from being about an 80 page proposal to being the book that it is which is like 225 pages so i call that time in my life like my own personal vietnam i like you know it was uh but in the end 
the book happened and then I got to do like another six months of editing and expanding and they liked me again. And mm. so she comes first exists in the world, but it almost didn't. Was the publisher kind of like, you know, I did let my husband read it and it really works. So you can have more time. Well, he read, he read the manuscript. He's, he made, tweak I, ha- it. I have heard that. I'm, I'm very happy with the book. I've heard from a lot mm. of, uh, you know, it's so funny. We're talking about my old book and here I have a new book that's <laughs> coming out. And we're talking about the, origin story of she comes first which i don't even know if that's of interest to anybody i'm interested <laughs> okay. because because imagine that book doesn't come out think about how many people have reached out about the effects your book is at it's right. like it's like one of the go-to books like it's one of the first books people recommend when you're talking about like um you know books about sex or improving yeah. one's sex life and imagine all those people don't get access to that book and especially back then when like books like this were not as commonplace or yeah. at least mainstream. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel like since the book was written, there's been so much that's come out about uh, female sexuality and the female orgasm and this idea of guys being sexually clitorate and uh, just, you know, a lot of awareness of sort of leveling the uh, playing field of mutual orgasms. But when I wrote She Comes First... Uh, that wasn't in the air at all. I mean, it was sort of part of sex. There was like the sex in the city was sort of part of the zeitgeist. So, um, but it, it, the conversation wasn't really happening. Yeah. But, and also, and I think that's in large part because just the internet had not blown up the way it that's is right. today. So there weren't as many blogs. There weren't as many media outlets, certainly not media outlets like covering sex. Cosmo was still giving like really shitty sex tips. Yeah, it was like, oh, eat a donut around it. Which, by the way, when I first saw that, I was like, please never do. God forbid you miss. (laughs) That's it. Eat a donut. Yeah, they're like stack donuts on, (laughs) and the one like what kind? That's not a good for an ego. You don't want to now be measuring yourself based on like. Look, inches are big enough of a measuring unit. We don't need it to be donuts. And now it's like, oh, I'm a two and a half donut guy. (laughs) Like that could hurt. Yeah, how many donuts? Yeah, it's uh, Reddit ads would be unusual way of measuring the size of the penis. How many uh, donuts can you wrap around? But you know. Know, with Cosmo, especially back then, less so today, uh, everyone was always just after like, what's the new sex tip? And it's just like, why does there have to be a new tip? Why does it have to be a donut tip? Or why does it have to be? I remember one I came up with, uh, wrap a shoelace around a guy's penis and kind of go back and forth over it and squeeze it a little bit. You know what I mean? And like, you just, they were asking, you know, just please be creative with your tips. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's like, or you could just go buy a cock ring and not like accidentally maybe tie a knot that causes you to go to the emergency room. Right. Who knows? Right. <laughs> or you can just get really present in the moment and really connect to your partner and just kind of get into a sexual flow state and not worry about all these tips. Yeah. I mean, I've never been one for like reading and taking in sex tips. I kind of just like was big on fooling around till you find the right answer for this person. You know, like sometimes people would talk about like, I got this technique, but I always thought like, I don't know one having one technique. What if that one doesn't work on this one over here? I don't think that means she's wrong. I just think that means I need a different tool in my toolkit, you know? Yeah. You know, you don't only go onto the football field with a running play. You you got audibles. Well, you know, I think think we don't really talk that much with our partners about sex. I think, well, men and women, we bring a lot of uh, anxiety into sex. Um, You know, I see a lot of sexual anxiety lead to sexual dysfunction, and uh, regardless of gender or sexual orientation. So I think having techniques is a way of uh, 
maybe feeling a little resourced or scaffolded and helps you sometimes get on the other side of some of that anxiety. But I agree if the techniques just exist as like put a couple of donuts around a penis or write the alphabet on her clitoris, like what's that? What's that? What's underneath that? What's that connected to? Yeah, it's not connected to the person because now you're just doing the you're doing the thing you read to do. Right. Which doesn't work if you're not connect. You, you're not like paying attention. Like, is this working on her, or does she really react when I do the s's but not the u's? Like, right. you know, if you're right. not paying attention to that stuff, then it never matters. Right. In my opinion, right. like some of those right. just seem like they're trying to do variations on good ideas. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I do have a lot of you know, cutely named tips and techniques in that book. But everything is very explained mm. and very rooted and very. Um, you know, grounded in sexual science and female sexuality. So, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I was curious why. Why did you think you might get laughed at when you were preparing the pitch of that book? That stood out to me. You know, at the time, sort of um, saying that you were writing a book that was largely about cunnilingus and uh, oral sex and sexual cliteracy. Uh, it just wasn't in the air in the same way that it is now, mm. you know? Um, so it's not that I knew that some that somebody was going to laugh at me. I just wanted, and I still believe this, even when I was working on my new book, so tell me about the last time you had sex, like, I believe that the creative process is very vulnerable. And so it's kind of like, I guess it's kind of like having a baby or something like you just want to incubate it and protect it and make sure you can grow it. And I just I've lived in a world where good ideas are sort of slashed down sometimes too quickly. So that's all I just wanted to kind of incubate it in, in the privacy of my own womb, so to speak. Because, like, I'd be afraid to pitch the book today, but for different reasons. The reason being, like, I'd be nervous. People would go, oh, we got a man who's going to tell us about how to please a woman. You know, yeah. like, I, I don't. Did you get any kind of pushback like that? No, I think you're totally right. Um, we got a man telling us about how to please a woman. This is patriarchy. We don't need a guy. But you also have to remember with She Comes First, with all of my books, um, I don't come at it from uh, like a place of uh, machismo or anything. Mm -hmm. I talk very openly about my own issues with uh, sexual dysfunction and uh, feeling very sexually marginalized in my own life, feeling like a sexual failure. So I think that there's also a kind of a modesty or, you know, maybe a humbleness in the book that doesn't just feel like, you know, typical locker room bragging but i think you're right i think it would be probably impossible well most things would be impossible to publish today right like you know you know look at look at like um the way like you know writers like philip roth and john updike and saul bellow you know part of that whole male canon of writing and yeah they were writing at a certain moment in time and there's definitely reading it today sure you can see um you know, different dimensions of uh, misogyny or, you know, the context has changed, but uh, there's still something, you know, at the essence of the work that make them literary works of art. So I think every everything just comes out of its time. So, yeah, She Comes First was uh, born of its time. Yeah. And uh, 
it was written for men anyway. It was written for men to learn more about pleasuring women. Yeah. Um, a lot of women happen to read it or give it to men as well. But yeah. I mean, it's a, it's definitely uh, it's, it sounds like a very uh, thin tightrope to walk to to be uh, give competent advice, but also not do that machismo to come in with that humility and that humbleness and whatnot. Because otherwise, it could very easily turn to like dudes being like, "Yo, man, you you put two in the pink, one in the stink, right?" Like you're trying to avoid that that realm too. Yeah. Right? But you also yeah. don't want to be overly apologetic that you never actually like explain yeah. anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, in the end, uh, Billy, I just want to be me. Yeah. You know, I'm just gonna be me in the end, and uh, that's what I try and. Uh, certainly, and she comes first. Uh, I try to do it. Uh, I've written some books. After she comes first, that um, haven't held up as well, and that I'm personally not always as proud of. Um, and so, with she comes first, you know, with my new book, um, I try to really just be honest and be true to myself. Yeah. So now, what is this new book about? Uh, so tell me, the last time you had sex. Yeah. Or you can tell me about the last time you had sex. Either one. Both questions are valid. Well, I wish I could tell you about the last time I had sex. No, the last time I had sex, you know, well, look, I'm, I'm a guy in my 50s and says my wife, we've been married for, you know, 20 plus years. But, uh, you know, I could say we're keeping it going. Um, uh, but I think I'd rather talk about the book. Yeah. I think the publisher would rather I talk about the book than uh, the last time I actually... I think my wife would rather I talk about the book. She's than like, the last can you time. stop talking about me and the things? But wh- wh- how, how much of you is uh, is in the new book? Um, less than she comes first. Because here's yeah. the thing. So I've been like, you know, seeing patients and, uh, and, you know, patients come into my office and they're often, when it comes to issues around sex, they're often, mm-hmm. I'm kind of, it's kind of like being a dentist. Someone's, by the time you get to a dentist, you've waited too long and you're probably in pain, mm-hmm. right? So dentists are sort of like sex therapists. People have waited far too long. Uh, I remember this next week. I have a clean. <laughs> <laughs> ask your dentist a sex question. Don't ask me a dental question though. Um, And so I have sort of developed what I call sort of like a sex in action approach. Like, let's work in real time. Let's get you out of pain in that first session. Mm -hmm. Let's give you some hope and optimism and get you moving in the right direction. Um, So as part of it, once I've learned about, uh, let's just say, a couple's problem, in every session I will always ask the question, so tell me about the last time you had sex. Um, It's a simple question, um, but what I, but, but, but how I think of it is that every sexual event, uh, is a story. Every sexual event has a beginning, middle, and an end. Every sexual event consists of interactions that are physical, emotional, psychological that come together and create what I call the sex script, mm. right? So every sexual event sort of has a sex script to it. And most couples, and most individuals kind of have default sex scripts that they go to, especially couples in long-term relationships. And very often, those sex scripts are reinforcing the problems that they've come in with. So in my first session, what I like to do is sort of like what I call sort of a a sex script rewrite. Mm -hmm. I want to hear about their sex script. I want to understand how that script is reinforcing the problem and how we can rewrite it. And how we can cast Matthew McConaughey somehow. 
Just and like, cast him? How can him? we get him, <laughs> him cool. involved? No. <laughs> <laughs> what would he do for it? I don't know. He, like some he, weird commercial? Like, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about the last time I had sex. <laughs> it's uh, sex in the back of a Lincoln, I think is what that would be. <laughs> um, but, so you're uh, saying you do the, um, the sex script rewrite. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like... Uh, a methodology that I have. And so in the book, um, there's a lot of case studies. Um, there's a lot of stuff in it. I basically um, walk through all the elements of kind of a sex script, all the things that people should be thinking about and how to, at home, rewrite their own sex mm-hmm. scripts. And it's a lot of the themes that I've learned over the years of doing this work, thousands and thousands of times. Yeah. But the sex script itself, is that necessarily a bad thing? Or is it just a bad thing if you only have one script and it's the only script you do? You know what? It's not even a bad thing if you only have one script and it's the thing you do. Does the sex script work? Mm-hmm. You know, that's all I care about. And how do you want it to work? Do you want it to generate mutual pleasure? Do you want to like drop down into just like a feeling of uh, sensuality? Do you want to connect? Are you looking to be adventurous or kinky? I don't you can have any goal you want, but is the sex script, the way you're having sex, is it enabling you to express your sexual identity? Is it enabling you to achieve your sexual goals or is it getting in the way? Mm -hmm. And you have to remember with two people, you're mutually creating a sex script. So it's not unusual for one person to like get left behind or one person to want something that's missing in the sex script or to not want something that's in the sex script or to want a different experience of sex in the sex script. So I have no problems with, um, but those people aren't my patients and those people aren't reading the books. If your sex life works and you have one sex script or five sex scripts, or you're not even thinking about it as a sex script, which you're not, it's just that sex works, then, then you're probably not coming to see me. Right. Certainly you could benefit from the book in terms of continuing to be on a, an expansive journey of sexual growth and expression. But my work is really looking my work is really directed towards people who um, want to improve their sex life, want to heal their sex life, want to um, make sex happen in a way that it's not happening. Yeah, you know, over the last, you know, few, you know, you've been in practice for decades now, and and are you noticing that, like, were there certain issues that were like in vogue you would notice with clients back? you know, towards the beginning of your practice, and maybe in today's age, like you're noticing a diff a, a more a different type of consistent issue that people come in with? Yeah. Um, you know, today what I'm noticing a lot of um, is much more um, performance anxiety. I mean, you would think that performance anxiety is perennial and universal, which it is to some extent. Um, but, you know, for example, like I'm working with a lot of guys in their 20s and 30s who have um, major erectile unpredictability mm-hmm. and dysfunction. And uh, it's all psychologically based because they're perfectly healthy, um, healthy guys. And I was not seeing, you know, if I see 20 patients a week or 25 patients a week, I can say that, you know, this week, there's going to be three or four or five guys who are just dealing with with something like this so um you know they're definitely um you know the other thing that I'm, I'm seeing a lot more of than i used to see is um uh 
less um, psychological arousal, mm-hmm. less um, let's fantasize, let's role play, let's watch something sexy, read something sexy, share something sexy. And that's paradoxical because there's more porn out there than ever. There's more erotica out there mm-hmm. than ever. There's more sex toys out there than ever. And people are definitely using all of that. It's just often with themselves. And so what I'm seeing and what I write about in the book a lot is that people's sex, sex scripts should be more than just sequences of physical behaviors. Mm-hmm right? They should be imbued with eroticism, with connection, with exhilaration. It should be like a living document, so to speak, which is how I view the Constitution also. Uh, it's like, no, it's a, it should be like a thing that can always change, right? Like yeah. that script can be rewritten in the moment, right? Yeah. Like if you notice like, okay, her leg's twitching when I do that, let's do more of that now. We don't right. need to go into the deep, dark cave. Let's do this thing over here that she clearly likes. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, that's another thing, which is that Many people in their sex scripts are very stuck in their scripts or they're very stuck in a particular sequence of behavior. I mean, going back to She Comes First, I talked about sort of breaking free from the intercourse discourse. I talked about my own struggles with um, sexual dysfunction and how I thought that there was really only one way for a man to be sexual and I couldn't really be sexual that way. So I didn't feel like a sexual um, male. And I think Today, especially for heterosexual couples, uh, sex scripts are still overshadowed by what I call sort of the intercourse discourse. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I ask my all of my heterosexual patients, couples, tell me about the last time you had sex, and did it include intercourse, or did you want it to include, or did you try to have intercourse? I'm going to say about 100% of those couples are going to say yes. Mm -hmm. And if I ask 100% of those couples who are having or trying to have intercourse 100% of the time, how long did it take you to get from the initiation of sex to intercourse, most of those couples are going to say between two and seven minutes, Mm -hmm. right? So you can see that uh, intercourse is sort of the most dominant sexual behavior um, in the sex script. Interestingly... There was a study done of gay men asking them about their last, their most recent sexual event. And they get looked at uh, 25,000 gay and bisexual men. Well, let me ask you, Billy, what percent, you know, people love to say that gay men are sort of like straight men. They just like guys or attracted Mm -hmm. to guys instead of, you know, women. So what percentage of gay men do you think had sexual intercourse, not penis and vagina. They were, they were talking about like, like how many of the guys like in, it needed to be anal. I don't know. Uh, maybe, thir- maybe like four, 35% said like a- anal or bust. Very good. Did, very what? good. Oh. Uh, uh, very good. About 65% okay. did not include anal sex. Mm-hmm. That actually kind of um, is surprising because I think a lot of people have the stereotype that gay sex equals anal sex. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes gay men have that stereotype too. Yeah. Um, so then you ask yourself, wow, so 65% of gay men were not having intercourse the last time they had sex. What were they doing? Hands, mouths, toys, frauding. I learned about the frauding. Yes. Heard about yeah. that thing. I was like, okay, yeah, there's a lot of things that can be done. Absolutely. So it's like 12 rather basic behaviors, right? Right. 
right? Like toilet kissing, manual, oral, as you said. So what's remarkable to me is that of those 12 behaviors, the 25,000 gay men surveyed put them together in 1,300 different combinations, right? So that's like 1,300 oh sex scripts I that are unique. I think it's easier to like randomly open someone's lock. I think it might, <laughs> there might be less combinations. Um, right? You know, and I told you I was listening to a couple of podcasts you were on um, earlier today on my drive, and something I, I love that I was hearing from you was something that was huge for me was when you step back it sounded like you stepped back at one point you realized sex does not have to be this thing i think it is and my erection is not so integral to this process as i thought it was like when i realized that it was liberating it changed my fucking life because it was like oh like i i can go in this experience it can be so many different things and it's exciting not knowing exactly what it's gonna be unless we like plan some sort of really sexy script right we all think like well the ultimate the ultimate level of sex is that penis gets in this vagina and if i want it then obviously i'm gonna get it right right and ironically anything less is ironically like 80 percent of women will not orgasm from intercourse or intercourse alone yeah so what is it like for validation for you it's like what is it about what is it about it's about the intercourse discourse it's Mm -hmm. about intercourse uh being reinforced generation after generation as um you know, the most or the only or the main the pinnacle sex, of sex. sexual behavior, right? And so women often buy into that as, as much, if not more, than men. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and how did it feel? Do you remember, like, when you personally, like, came to that realization that, like, sex can be redefined? And do you remember, like, how you felt when you started... Like realizing that? Yeah. Well, I mean, this goes back to well before I was a psychotherapist or a sex therapist. I was just uh, a kid growing up who like was really excited about being sexual and was horny and wanted to have a lot of it. And when I started to get in bed with uh, women, I'm, you know, heterosex- I'm heterosexual and I started to get into bed with women, uh, I was just encountering sexual difficulties, mainly early ejaculation, which is the most common male sexual problem and it's something which you say early ejaculation not necessarily like premature ejaculation because as someone else has explained to me it may not be that you had like quote unquote premature ejaculation you may just be ejaculating earlier than you would prefer right is that yeah i mean that's kind of the thing i don't talk about it's just you know you want to use language that's humanizing and less pathologizing so i call you know uh People might say erectile disorder or erectile dysfunction. They used to say impotence. I call it uh, erectile unpredictability, right? Just, you know, you want to use language that just, um, you know, isn't pathologized because we already feel shitty enough and shameful enough and marginalized enough. Yeah. We don't need that mirrored back to us by professionals. Yeah. That last um, one does sound more fun, though, because it sounds like, <laughs> hey, no, we just have these fun sex dice. We're going to see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, you know, th- I don't know. Like I said, it, it felt like a freeing feeling for me, and I it wish more freeing. more people got to like it realize was that. Freeing. Oh man, when you can let your penis be the passenger and not the driver of the sexual experience, when you can lead with your mind, mm-hmm. uh, with your mouth, with your hands, with your penis. When you know the filmmaker Jean Luc Godard always said, uh, "The avant-garde filmmaker: a story has a beginning, middle, and an end, but not necessarily in that order." When you could you know, rearrange the pieces and construct them in a way that's 
personalized to you and your partner, that is truly liberating. And you know why it's liberating? Because then you can really enjoy sex and you can get absorbed into it and you can just get into that place of arousal where you aren't thinking about what you're doing. You're just doing and being. And that to me is the essence of, of, of great sex is just being totally present moment. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, back then you were having one set of struggles. Like, are, are you, are you starting to notice like in, in your age now in your fifties, like there's a different set of problems that like there's to deal sure. with it. You know, is there another book in mind where you're like, I'm going to overshare in a, in the next uh, one uh-huh. about what I'm discovering in this new age bracket. Uh-huh. Well, I always bring myself into my books. There's a lot yeah. of me in my book and, uh, uh, which is well, wonderful by the way, because I think a lot of academics, some, I mean, it's, you know, you yeah. your comfort level, but it, it always really hooks me in so much more and like makes it a more human read I when I feel like the person is learning in the journey with me. Listen, if I just wanted to be a scientist or a therapist, I don't need to write a book mm-hmm. and then just be a fucking therapist yeah. or a scientist. If you want to connect with people, you got to put a little of your own humanity in there too. You give what you get, you get what you give, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, listen, first of all, things like, it's important for people to have a knowledgeable, informed sort of scientific context for sexual problems. So something like early ejaculation tends not to be psychologically based. It tends to be biologically based and neurochemically based. And so what that means is it's a little more chronic than it is just situational. So to some extent, it's not a problem that you ever truly overcome, no pun intended. You just sort of learn to manage it. So, you know, as a guy in my 50s, would it be possible for me to have both early ejaculation and, let's say, erectile unpredictability? Um, absolutely. Or uh, delayed ejaculation if I'm on a medication. Sure. As you age, uh, sexual problems can start to pile up on each other. But you know what's interesting, Billy? Back then when I was like 17, 18, 20, 25, that problem just stopped me in my tracks, man. Dead end, hit a brick wall, keep driving and hitting it and learning the same fucking lesson over and over again. Uh, and then honestly figuring out, wait, I can drive around the wall. I don't even have to drive at all. I can walk. I can stand on my head and use something completely different. I can learn to walk on my hands and, you know, walk around the wall. So knowing that, which is the liberation that mm-hmm. you talk about, Today, any problem that I have to contend with, and even if I have more problems as I age than I did back then, is much easier to resolve, to talk about, to walk around and work around, right? Because I'm not stuck in this uh, anxious mindset of, oh my God, my penis isn't... uh lasting as long as I want, or I'm not getting it up as in the way that I want, or it's not big enough, or my, the volume of my ejaculate isn't enough. Like, um, back then those problems can, can really disable you or cripple you, yeah. you know? And, uh, so, so the mindset in a way, it doesn't matter. Um, there are so many paths to pleasure, yeah. so many ways to get there. I'm not worried about a particular problem. Yeah. And there's also so many different ways to like, I don't know, like I also came to have like a different appreciation for like the different states of my penis, like arousal, right? Like I, I had a, I had a partner once who just, she liked 
soup she liked to just play with a completely flaccid penis Mm -hmm. she's like i like it in the mouth i like to then feel it grow well what i love about that is that woman is telling you what turns her on Mm -hmm. and what she likes and i think that uh as much as sex is about togetherness and connectedness and obviously and she comes first i i care about mutual pleasure um there's also a little bit of like like sex works when there's a little bit of a selfishness to it right Mm -hmm. when i'm consuming when when this person person I'm with doesn't have to just be my wife or partner or co-parent. She can be, um, she can be a meal for me, you know, like that woman that you're describing, she's hungry for that flaccid penis in a way that she's not for an erect penis, right? So she's just working off of her own desire and hunger. So I love when people just get to experience their sexual appetites and don't feel like they have to force feed themselves uh, some sort of like sexual behavior or some version of a penis. You eat what you're in the mood to eat. You say, uh, it, you know, it's good to be a little selfish. And I was thinking um, maybe like a, a month or two ago, I remember I was, I was talking with a friend and I realized like when you... I love making someone feel good. That makes me feel mm-hmm. good. And I come across some partners who are really, they're like, I'm a pleaser. I just want to, I just want to make right. you feel good. Don't worry. And I'm like, give me the gift of letting you, right. like, letting me make you feel good. Like what right. a gift that is to right. give to be selfish enough right. that they get to do something for right. you. So I like making people feel good too. I like giving, but I get something different out of making someone feel good sexually than I do just say like, writing a check to the local dog shelter, you know, like, so let me ask you, you said, and this is true of a lot of guys, and it's true of me, you like giving pleasure. Mm -hmm. Can I say, do you get pleasure from giving pleasure? Like, what do you get? Yeah, tell me, like, why do you like, why do you like giving pleasure? Um, I don't want to get fall into the trap of the like, I need to make her come for me. Because then I'm like, oh, maybe I just need some validation for myself. And maybe I'm not even supposed to be in this sexual scenario in the first place. Maybe I just need to like journal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I do know that is a common thing where there's a lot of guys who are like, I need to have made you come for me. And then, you know, I'm sure I went through that at some point in my 20s, but I like to think I'm out of it. Right. There was a study by, uh, I want to come back to this for a second, but there was a study by Sari Van Anders, who's an amazing researcher, and she talks about... uh, bad orgasms and that women especially but men too not all orgasms are good orgasms some orgasms can be bad orgasms well how can an orgasm be bad i understand how the sex can be bad but if you're going to get to an orgasm how is it a bad orgasm one of the ways it's a bad orgasm is if a woman feels like her guy is like sort of objectifying her into like a a notch on his belt and her Mm. orgasm is about his prowess and his narcissism right then Mm -hmm. that makes the orgasm a bad orgasm so so i hear you like and sometimes i've caught some shit from uh some writers who have said you know she comes first is all about like orgasm as sport and women objectified into you know orgasm objects and i guess i i would hope that that's not the reader of she comes first Mm -hmm. someone who's just you know uh looking to be a better athlete of sex you know i hope uh but certainly not the spirit in which i wrote it. yeah but if that's where they start at least if someone got to the book trying to do that and then later 
figure out the more genuine reasons for doing things better that they're at least because uh, they're going to be quote unquote sport fucking regardless better that they're doing a better job for her sure. while he tries to figure out the very it's like <laughs> right. when people say oh that guy's just using feminism to get laid I'm like if only like right. that, that's a great starting point fine I agree <laughs> I agree I agree I also think I don't know like I love giving pleasure in a very selfish way because it turns me on. Yeah. Like I'm a Taurus, I'm a sensualist. I like food and comfort and for me like it's not cognitive. It's not like, oh, I'm doing this good thing because I care about this person so much. Yes, I care about that person, but the thing that's really driving me to give pleasure is that it's just so fucking pleasurable in return. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I, well, then that depends on how I'm doing, how or how I perceive I'm doing. So I am way more turned on if I perceive I'm doing a good job versus sure. if I'm down there. I'm like, you look, I've tried A, B, and C. I don't know what else. Well, I don't know what to do that's next. That's not inherently <laughs> pleasurable, right? right that's right. That, that's that that becomes anxiety provoking, and that's where it comes back to the sex script. Mm -hmm. Something if that's happening. Um, that was very that was very well done <laughs> I saw it. It, was very, it came back with, oh, that no thing? but you know i'm <laughs> no, not I'm really trying my publisher is going to be like i listened to this interview and like you talked about she comes first for 45 minutes you mentioned <laughs> we'll, we'll be telling them to say no i'm i was just teasing you no. no no but no i was really thinking like if you're down there giving a woman cunnilingus and she's like i'm not into this or you're doing this wrong or mm. I'm, I'm not, not talking about when the they're doing that i'm talking about when they're kind of like semi non-responsive and i don't know if it's because they're like a quiet there's someone who enjoys their pleasure quietly or if like I'm just not doing a great well, job. Right. That's a great example of needing to evaluate the sex script, right? Like our sex lives, our sexual identities are revealed through sex happening in action, right? Our sexual personalities are revealed through sex in action. So uh, I would just say um, if you're running up against that kind of non-responsiveness or that kind of issue, uh great time to start um looking at the big picture of the the sex script that you're engaging in mm -hmm. you know you mentioned that like one of the the problems you're seeing a lot more of especially with the dudes in the 20s and 30s or i, I don't know if it was just men that you were saying performance anxiety was starting to become a more frequent issue um do you think some of that has to do with just like we are more cognizant of our sexual performances now because hookup culture and casual sex are more common and with the internet you can go on way more dates and potentially have more sex than in 2001 where you had to rely on bars and now that we're having maybe more sex than we were you know if you're having more sex than maybe you have before you're more conscious of how am i doing in that sex right do you think that's part of it well, you're sort of saying there's like an audition quality where you're, you're getting so many more opportunity. You're getting so many more auditions than like I used to get as a kid. Right? Yeah, something like that. Right. So there's just unless you're really good at auditions, right, you're, you're going to be anxious going into every one. Well, with and, the rise of casual sex, we're talking about sex more. We're, there's more sexual media. There's more sex articles on the Internet. Mm -hmm. So we're all there might be a perception that, oh, gosh, everyone's talking about sex more. How am I at sex? Maybe I'm not good at sex, which might even then lead them to actually becoming worse at sex than they already sure. were. I mean, the thing that I've noticed is that most guys who experience this, um, you know, uh, erectile unpredictability, um, it's just a vicious cycle. The first time it happened was like 10 years ago, and then they started worrying about it. And, you know, so they're bringing that to almost every experience, and the anxiety is just, you know, continuing to get compounded, and then they end up in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, where it's still occurring. I wanted to say something else, though. Right. Like, I think, um, you know, people talk a lot about porn and the negative influences or the negative impact of porn. And I'm very sex positive and I'm actually extremely porn positive. If I had to make a list of all the reasons why we should be watching porn as individuals and couples versus mm -hmm. not, the, the list of pros far outweighs uh, probably the cons. But I do think that we live in a much more um, sort of pornified world. Porn is just so much part of a guy's life. And I think and I think it's easy, right? I think when you're masturbating, when you're watching porn, it's an anxiety-free experience. It's pleasurable. You don't have problems getting erections. You can do it when you want. It's private. And I think sex with an actual person means involving an actual person. And that can be a little anxiety-provoking. And if you're, if you're not used to dealing with that kind of anxiety or having techniques for dealing with that anxiety, well, then all of a sudden, when you're watching porn, you have these perfectly fine erections, and now you're going to have real partnered sex, uh, and you're not, you know? So I wouldn't blame that on porn per se, which a lot of guys do when they come to see me. Oh, I watched too much porn. I fucked up my brain or, I'm, you know, it's really about, it's not about like blaming the porn. It's just like, let's look at the anxiety or the stress that you're bringing to partnered sex. And, and I get it. It involves another person and another person that you want to please and you want to in, have and enjoy the experience with. So the anxiety and the stress is, is perfectly reasonable. Let's talk about how to get on top of it or get on the other side of it. And, and how do we get on the other side? How? Well, it's, it can, it depends how far into this journey you are. Like, how anxious are you? You know, I think, you know, in some ways, one of the things that we've been already talking about, which is just sort of giving into pleasure and getting absorbed is, is, is part of it. Like, I, I try and work with guys a little bit on, um, what I would call like a sexual mindfulness, you know, and when you're in the moment, I think you mentioned something similar to this. Like, for a lot of guys, if they have a sexual issue, for a lot of women, but let's stick with the guys for a second. For a lot of guys, if they have a sexual issue, either they're not going to have sex at all, or that issue is going to really derail the sex mm -hmm. uh, and put bring the sex to an end. Isn't there a way to stay in the sex, to stay in pleasure, to deal with an obstacle or deal with some kind of anxiety or adversity, but not totally pull out of the sexual experience. So I work with guys a lot on a, let's notice when that anxiety is coming up. Let's notice it really early and let's figure out how to redirect from that anxiety. And I want you to get really curious about the person you're with, not curious about how to please them, not curious about the performance in their mind, but really be curious and explore that person. And mm. so I think sometimes just mind, mindfully just redirecting away from the anxiety is it's a, it's a tool. It's a technique that you can learn. Mm -hmm. I also work with a lot of guys and, um, uh, by integrating, um, you know, the generics of, uh, Cialis and Viagra. I don't think that there's anything wrong with scaffolding yourself a little bit in a sexual experience. And the more you can create 
positive sexual experiences that are reparative of those negative ones, um, the farther along you're going to be. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think a couple, a few years ago I was like sponsored by Blue Chew and they sent me out some, you know, samples or whatever. And, and I like that you, you say there's nothing wrong if you need to have the aid. And for, you know, it's not like I need chronically or perpetually something like a pill to get erections, but in higher, in like a uh, high pressure situations, like say threesome night, I know threesome night's going to happen. A little more high pressure. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh, and it's with, if it's with two women, oh, well, then I really want to make sure I've got this harm for them. There's, it's almost just a, for the peace of mind, taking that makes me more relaxed. Sure. And then I go into the encounter more confident because I was like, maybe I wouldn't, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't be okay without it. But now I know I'm like scientifically gonna, it's gonna be, science will be there for me when I need it. Right. So now I can just enjoy this encounter right. instead of worrying about like, gosh, will I be hard or am I gonna face double the embarrassment? Right. So, you know, like, I, I also don't think they're they're shameful to use. I think they're like tools and you use them when and where. And you use them in combination with other modalities, mm-hmm. right? If you're just using a pill alone to persistently get you through sexual experiences that are nerve wracking and you're not uh, addressing the anxiety, you're not addressing how to communicate, you're not addressing how to create a sex script that doesn't produce anxiety. Mm-hmm. In the book, there's a whole... The whole second half of the book is about um, addressing specific sexual problems, early ejaculation, erectile unpredictability, sexual pain, orgasm issues, and actually developing sex scripts um, that help you work around those mm. problems. So um, it's a combination. It's a tool set, right? And so I think the way we use the medication today is often just... Uh, on its own, you know. Yeah, and I and I think with them, the the hipper, newer, younger uh, marketing for some of these uh, these companies that have been, you know, selling the 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 Viagra under their own names, I think is actually maybe helping with the stigma a bit because, like, well, it's on the subway, right, uh, so to speak. Right. Is, is there anything in the new book that you you learned in the process of writing? You were like, well, you know, like that you discovered through maybe looking through the yeah. notes and, and and everything. Yeah, I would say um, a couple of things that got really reinforced to me and that I was really able to, um, you know, explore either some of the science or the creativity uh, behind were were two things. One, um, the importance of really bringing mind-based psychological stimulation into the sex script. So sort of sheathing the sex script and something that's really exciting and, and absorbing. And then the second thing I learned, um, which is related to that is, sort of the paradoxical nature of sex that we're turning on, we're turning on, we're turning on, we're getting more and more turned on. And then at a certain point, we have to pivot and kind of turn off. And we're not, it's not about novelty. It's not about, um, you know, thinking in a creative way about what we're doing. It's really about dropping down into kind of like a mutual flow state with someone and kind of going uh, almost like on like a, a kind of a sexual autopilot. You know what I mean? Yeah, so there's yeah. like, uh, and especially for women, there have been so many studies that have shown that, um, you know, women the closer they're getting into orgasm, the closer they're getting to orgasm, there's sort of like this prolonged plateau period before orgasm that men don't really experience where um, 
certain brain activity increases and other brain activity decreases and women basically go into kind of like a trance, like kind of like deactivated state. And so I think that's when they stop thinking about, did I leave the oven on? Is that, (laughs) hopefully they stop thinking about that. Like, uh, before they got into bed, I doubt that they're going to get into bed. Anybody's going to, well, you know, a guy got certain guys with certain types of libidos that respond to cues and certain ways won't won't care if they maybe left the oven on but uh you know generally we want to reduce those stressors and uh increase the exciters but uh anyway i just i think that that sex is a little paradoxical in creating a good sex script and that we really want to be able to turn on and then we also sort of want to be able to turn off parts of our brains and so sort of like getting the arc of that journey was um you know, really um, interesting for me and, and offered a lot of discoveries. For mm-hmm. example, I learned that um, back in the 16th century, there was a, a German uh, physicist, I forgot his name, uh, Huygens, I think, and uh, he noticed that there were two pendulum clocks on his wall. And uh, when he started the pendulums, you know, in the morning, they'd often be out of sync going in opposite directions. But after about a half hour, he noticed they were completely in sync. And he was like, well, how did that happen? How did they go from swinging in the opposite direction to swinging in the same direction? Uh, and he never figured it out in his lifetime. And it took oh, a lot of... That was, that was disappointing. <laughs> I thought you were about to tell me the answer. <laughs> well, the answer was figured out, just not in this poor guy's lifetime. Was this The Empire Strikes Back, man? You're trying to give me, you're trying to end it on a downer? <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that uh, once we develop the technology to observe that there, the pendulums actually start to oscillate at the same sound frequency and that sort of vibrating and oscillating at the same frequency slowly brings them into into sync or what we call into a state of kind of like entrainment the mm-hmm. pendulums are entrained with each other and we see entrainment in the natural world we see it when um uh, fireflies are all lighting up at the same time, or we, and we see it when flocks of birds are all flying and then pivoting at the same time. We see it in schools of fish. We see it in the human world when we are pushing someone on a swing and we just get into the rhythm or we're throwing a ball. Sometimes it happens on our own when we're just like walking or brushing our teeth. And it also happens during sex. Yeah. We can get into that state of mutual entrainment you know and you get those real good strokes going you just like that it's like now i'm in rhythm now we're hitting it now we're in rhythm now we're in flow it doesn't have to be intercourse based um but yeah now we're in rhythm now we're in flow and if you're in that rhythm and you can't think your way into that rhythm and flow right? right you can't think your way or plan your way you just get there yeah by doing it and but the anxiety well. of wanting to fix the whatever the quote unquote problem is is like, well, can you tell me how to do? And you're like, the answer is just just do and be right. connected and you well, know, yes. and sync. And the answer is to do a what turns you on mm-hmm. mentally and physically, and to do in a way that's organic and true to both how you want to do it and how you can do it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if we can get rid of this idea that a sex script has to look a certain way and that we can have sex with so many different parts of ourselves then, and we're constructing sex scripts uh, that sort of 
embody those that sequence, then I would suggest we might not have that level of anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, you you say a lot. Of she comes first was written primarily with men and male readers in mind, and that uh, he comes next or whatever they retitle. Yeah. What did they retitle it? Passionista. He comes next is so much better. I don't I'm going to suggest that they. You think they should like? I think they put re- both together and just do it as a double. I she think it's comes a good first. Bundle. He comes next as yeah, a bundle. It's a good bundle. Be like, I also don't know which one like sold better. I'm assuming she comes first. Sold much better. better. So I feel like, hey, you got leftover copies that he comes first. This is a good way to like repackage and I'm we can bring move it up. some of I'm those old bring ones. It up. But so you say, you know, one was written for one group, one was written for another group of people, and uh, you know, who who is this new book for? Would you say? I would say it's primarily for couples of um, all ages, orientations, mm-hmm. uh, genders. Um, would you include different relationship models, or do you mean couples? Uh, I would include different relationship models. I would definitely include singles as well, or people that, um, you know, are, are a little nomadic in their sex life or a little less, you know, tied down or, or coupled. I think it's still really important. I mean, you asked me, like, what was insightful for me in my life. Mm. Um, and it was, yeah, understanding what my sex script needed to look like for yeah. me to, to be sexual. So in that sense, it's also written for single people to become more aware of um, how they would like their sex scripts to go in a way that really plays to their strengths and how to communicate it. Um, by couples, I don't mean people in relationships. I just mean if you're not having sex with yourself, and it's definitely not written as a masturbation book. Um, it's for people who are having sex with other people. However many people those may be. (laughs) Correct. Now, I haven't really, I'll be honest, like I haven't really thought it, like I don't really get the chance. It's based on clinical experience. So I don't really get the chance to like sit down with like a group that's having an orgy or a sex party and be like, how are we all going to do this together? I can put your business cards out at the next play party. Uh, So I can put them out if anybody needs (laughs) because <laughs> it's hard enough to get two it's hard enough to develop one sex script from two subjective subjectivities right. you know now you're talking about 10 it's like uh to get into that flow state i'm sure it could happen it, it, i think it, it works well especially from what both my personal experience and observations uh and like what my friends will share it's like it works obviously best when those people have kind of all most of them have had sex with each other even at least individually or for there's enough connections that there are enough sex scripts that they know work with each other that they can kind of start interchanging right um and then you're also i think when you're dealing with like group sex people you're dealing with a way more highly communicative sexual partner so they're the type of people who are not going to think it's going to ruin the mood if they're like actually do you mind uh doing that like that way and then because they know the per the type of people who do that are the types of people who go Oh, awesome. Absolutely. Thank, yeah. Like, cause they're all like, yeah, we just all want to do the best job making each other come. Like, right. we're not all in our head being like, oh, fuck. You know, I mean, even if you are, it's, you're yeah. usually dealing with the type of people who, who are like, right. we're all just trying to make everyone feel good. Right. So they have, um, they have familiarity so and what communication. Yeah. When, I think it's better when that, as opposed to if you get like 10 people who have like mostly never had sex with each other, then you have a little less of that familiarity. But then if you can add more communication, that sure. can also help. But then also sometimes people just don't fit and chemistry just yeah. don't work. So I don't know. Yeah. Personally, I don't like to jump into an orgy uh, if I haven't played with a decent some of the people because, 
yeah, like for example, I was at a sex party before the quarantine stuff. I think it might have been one of the last couple of parties I'd went to. And uh, a fuck buddy of mine, she was like, uh, oh, I was, I've been telling my friend about like, she's need to, she needs to have you go down on her. Cause mm-hmm. like, you're so good at that. So she needs to do that. And then she brings her up and she's like, Hey, yeah, yeah, this is Billy. You know, oh, you, he, you need to have him. She's like, yeah, you want, I was like, you want to go down and do that? And she's like, yeah. And then there's a woman I've not had a conversation with. I have not connected with. I prefer to connect usually, but like, hey, someone gives you a pussy eating recommendation. You'll be like, yeah, that's this is great. Um, but then I go down there and it's like, I don't think I did a very good job because like I wasn't connected with her. Right. I didn't have a sex script with her. I didn't know what was going on. At some point, we kind of just like stopped slash my other friend showed my friend showed up and then she joined in. And like mm-hmm. they had a sex script, so they kind of did more together. Mm-hmm. And I felt bad because I was like, I think I just ruined your good name because I don't think I lived up to whatever you told her. <laughs> right, right, right. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. So connection, and uh, you know, it's like um, you watch kids on a playground, mm-hmm. right? And kids like they can drop very quickly into make believe and role playing, and there can even be. Um, there's a lot happening under the surface in those in those simple games, and we we lose that capacity to kind of play and pretend and make believe with each other, which I think are essential qualities to try and you know bring to sex. Um, um, but not every kid is gonna connect with every kid, right? The mm-hmm. chemistry is not gonna be there. Not every kid is gonna wanna be able to role play or make believe or just play in general. So I think, you know, you're right. Sometimes uh, there's that chemistry and sometimes there isn't. Thank you for making a time with me. Also, has anyone ever told you you look like Paul Rudd? If you, no, okay, it's fine. I'm <laughs> um, just throwing that out there. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, I'll have a link to in the show notes to where they can get the book. Uh, I'm sure it's available wherever they like to buy the books. I like the link to indie bound so they yeah, can get a nice great. independent bookstore great. Um, but where else on the internet can they find you you know it's really going to be my website iankerner.com i just uh, 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 uh you know uh social media is a little bit of an achilles heel for me uh i'm i'm on it you know kind of dragged a little bit uh, when you got into this business i'm sure <laughs> you did not think this was going to have to be part of it well <laughs> not only that like it's not that I'm so private. It's just that, like, I don't really want to be in touch with everybody I've ever known. You know, like, people are like, well, don't you want to stay in touch with so-and-so? And actually, I don't really want to, you know? <laughs> so it's just like my energy is just sort of contrary to what seems to be the energy of social media. And uh, and as much as I love publishing and being out there and and doing this sort of thing, like... I don't gravitate towards like, look at me, like me, like see me, like, I don't know, like that just doesn't turn me on that much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, I wish, I wish I had that. Um, <laughs> cause I am just like, please somebody validate me. Uh, I need, <laughs> uh, you're, you're a lot younger than me. And like, you know, you only, you grow up in the world, you grow up in the system you grow up yeah. in, you know? Do you think things are, do you, have you, are you seeing things? I know I said that was the last question, but like, do you, are, do you think things are getting better? Do you think the attitudes that people are going into sexual encounters with are better than they were when you wrote, she comes first? Um, and then you can take credit and say it's because she, uh, she comes first. <laughs> Listen, I think, um, I think, um, certainly this idea of orgasm equality is much more in the air. I think, uh, a lot of men care much more about pleasuring and can be much more open minded about how they want to pleasure. Um, 
I love the way that, um, you know, kinking sex and queering sex is all really seeped into the mainstream. I love uh, the renaissance and sex toys, the renaissance and and ethical porn. I feel like it is kind of like potentially a a, a golden age. I just um, I still think people can be inherently shameful around sex, incredibly shy around sex. You know, I think most of us end up being raised in either sex negative or sort of sex avoidant homes. So, you know, I know for me, I grew up in a sort of kind of avoidant home. It just sort of wasn't there. Um, and if it's not there, it's not being mirrored back and you're not developing language for it. And then you end up as this adult really not having language to communicate about probably the thing you care most about at, at certain points. So I think all of that is still sort of happening, sort of the lack of um, self-location, um, uh, you know, a, a little bit of a kind of dissociation, the, the, the shame. So I think all of that, although I see everything trending towards much more sexual play and sexual exuberance and sexual freedom, and certainly much less, less boxed in and binary and constructed, I think, I think, that fucking shame response is still just as prevalent as ever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And maybe it's the circles I I swim in, you know? (laughs) Well, hopefully, hopefully the, we, we can keep combating that shame in part just by talking about it and reading books like yours, you know, uh, get the book. So tell me about the last time you had sex and then folks email me and, you know, tell me about the last time you had sex. I'm (laughs) curious. Uh, uh, Ian, thanks for making the time. Uh, Thanks for chatting with us. And why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye, everybody. What's your sex script like? You know, are are you switching things up? Did this make you think a little differently about how you're fucking the person you've been fucking for the last 30 years? Good. I want to hear about it. I think we all want to hear about it. And you should come share your story uh, in the champagne room. You can pop into the episode discussion channel and tell us what you thought about this week's show. You can also pop in all sorts of other channels to connect with fan whores from all over the world. And you can do so at manwhorepond.com slash discord. Uh, there's a link to that as well as all my other social media in the show notes of this episode. Uh, if you want to send me a comment, a question, a criticism, you can send any and all that over to manwhorepond at gmail.com. Did you know that there are over 200 bonus episodes and a whole ass fan whore community on my Patreon page? If you want to support the show that fills your feed, uh, consider joining my Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash podcast. And maybe you want to support me in a bit of a sluttier way. Maybe you want to get some dick pics in exchange for your doll hairs. You can always come flirt with me at OnlyFans.com slash CallMeBilly. Gosh, folks, quarantine making me real introspective. I, I, I smoked some weed last night and felt like I was having breakthroughs. Thinking about harm and accountability and perceptions of reality and... And, and like objective truth and what matters and what doesn't matter and being right versus wrong versus correct versus empathetic. I don't, folks, I know a lot of you uh, keep trying to remind me that you don't care about uh, the harm I've caused some people on the Twitters. 
a while back. I don't know. I'm having I'm having new and different thoughts and having some good conversations about it along the way. Still got a lot of sorries to do. Hopefully, I'll have enough time in this life to do them. Hopefully, I'll I, I won't make as many of the same mistakes along the way. <sighs> okay, that felt better. We'll see if that stays in or not if I clip it out. But everyone, uh, thanks for thanks for listening. Go check out Dr. Ian Kerner. Go get his book. Get vaccinated and stay slutty. Hotmovies.com has long been an ethical and affordable place to hashtag pay for some of your porn. Now with Hot Movies Select, customers gain access to unlimited viewings of tens of thousands of additional films from all their favorite studios for the low, low price of $24.95. Visit HotMovies.com, click Select Unlimited, and use promo code MANHOR at checkout so they know who sent you.